Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries. And today we're going to continue our discussion on the Passover season, one of my favorite times of the year. And this weekend marks the end of this wonderful eight-day holiday, which again is really two feasts in one, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is seven days, and the Feast of the Passover, which is technically uh, uh, one day. And joining me on the show is my friend and colleague, uh, Bobby Walter, who leads the work of Chosen People Ministries in the New York region, which, by the way, is little Israel. I mean, New York has probably a, as many Jewish people as at least uh, Tel Aviv. And so, uh, Bobby, I know that you love Passover and even observe it uh, in one way or another every year as a Gentile believer. So uh, tell us about Passover. Yeah, well, thank you, Mitch, and uh, shalom and welcome, everyone. And Mitch, you're right. I do enjoy Passover. And uh, as great as it is, I also enjoy when Passover ends uh, because <laughs> it's been our tradition, you know, my wife and I as our family, uh, during the week of, of Passover, not to eat any leavened bread. And uh, leaven is my downfall. I'm okay. sorry. I mean, Bobby, I've got, inter- I've, bread. I've got to interrupt here. I mean, you know, I, I, I would play the violin for you, you know, but you're a Gentile. <laughs> you're definitely not obligated to do it, Okay. And uh, even though I'm free to do it or not to do it, you know, there's too much Jewish guilt for me not to do it. So, <laughs> but, uh, but my birthday is during Passover almost oh, every no. year because the Jewish calendar doesn't always fall on the same day with the, uh, our regular calendar. And Bobby, you, have, you, haven't, you just don't know what it's like to be forced to eat an unleavened birthday cake every year. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so, okay, you okay, win. You so win. I, I feel bad for you, but not that bad. Fair enough. Okay. Good enough. Uh, my apologies. <laughs> um, so anyway, though, we are going to continue our conversation today. As Passover comes to a close, uh, we're sort of going to pick up where we left off last week uh, when we spent a good amount of time talking about uh, really the fact that Yeshua, Jesus, is our Passover lamb. And we talked about the connections between uh, that uh, initial Passover lamb in the book of Exodus and what Yeshua has done for us. So this next feast that actually takes place during the same time as the Feast of Unleavened Bread and during the Passover season, it's called the Feast of Firstfruits. And we read about it in Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 9. This is what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land which I am going to give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest." He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now, Mitch, when we think about the Feast of Firstfruits, when we think about uh, this day, when we read the Hebrew, what, it, what does yom, right? That's the Hebrew word for day. What does it mean? And what is a day? Very important question, uh, Bobby. Let me start by saying that, that when the Bible talks about a day, it means a day. So how's that for the simple answer? And the reason I mention that is because some people uh, believe that a day is longer than a 24-hour day, and that's how some people 
justify a view of creation. It's sometimes called theistic evolution, sometimes called uh, other things. But I would say that unless there is some specification to make us think differently, when the Bible talks about a day, it means a literal day. And uh, if you look in the book of Genesis, it's very interesting uh, because it, the Bible usually says evening and morning, a day, first mm -hmm. day, second day. And so there's no doubt about it in, in my mind that when the Bible talks about a day, we're talking about a literal 24-hour day. And why is that important? Well, it's important because you have a calendar. And uh, the calendar tells us what to do on certain days. When God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, he not only gave him, according to rabbinic Judaism, 613 commandments. Now, I've never sat and counted, but uh, they, they might be close. But that's positive and negative commandments. So on Mount Sinai, through Moses, God gave the Jewish people a lot of do's and don'ts, but he also gave them a whole bunch of when's. What to do when. And in Leviticus chapter 23, we have the Sabbath and then seven great festivals of Israel by which the entire nation could calibrate their entire lives year by year. And so in Leviticus 23, verses 5 through 6, we read about the establishment of uh, Passover. So let me read that. In the first month, okay, not the second month, not the third month. You know, in general, numbers are important uh, in the Bible. You can't allegorize them. You can't dismiss them. You have to understand them. So in the first month, first month, that's the month of Nisan uh, in the Hebrew calendar. And it usually falls out in March or April. So in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, again, friends, not the 15th day, not the 13th day, but the 14th day of the month, at twilight, that's uh, in between, is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day of the same month, there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread for the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, that bland, tasteless uh, substance that makes a good crack when you break it in half. So uh, we have seven literal days, one literal day, that's eight days. And so Passover begins on the 14th of Nisan. And uh, the 14th of Nisan is when Jewish people have their first Seder, S-E-D-E-R. That's an order of service. So we usually traditionally have seders on the 14th and 15th of Nisan, so the evening of the 14th and, and the 15th. And it was during that Passover seder that Jesus celebrated what we call the Last Supper. So the Last Supper was a seder. It was a Passover seder. And there's a, a, a tradition of what you do at a seder. It's not just a meal. It always happens the same time, and it always happens the same way. Passover was actually a command for Jewish people to celebrate if Jesus was to be perfect according to the law so that he would be an unblemished sacrifice, then Jesus actually needed to celebrate Passover, and he needed to do it in the right way at the right time. And so that Passover meal uh, was filled with a variety of traditions, and Jesus took these ancient symbols and showed how they were fulfilled in him. So he basically uh, talked about the Old Covenant, and in that same meal, 
establish the new covenant that was predicted in Jeremiah 31. Bobby, I know that as a Gentile believer who wasn't raised with all of these traditions, that Mm -hmm. when you see them fulfilled in Jesus, particularly the way he demonstrated this at the Last Supper, it makes the Lord's Supper mean so much more to you. I know it does for me. But coming from your background, Bobby, how do you, how do you view it? I had no understanding of, of Passover. I, you know, I, didn't, I, I knew it was something that the Jewish people celebrated, but I never even thought to make the connection between um, uh, the Jewishness of the Passover and what I was reading on the pages of the New Testament. It was really when it was pointed out to me uh, the, that, there was, uh, that there was great meaning and significance uh, to the matzah. Uh, and and that being the bread, the unleavened bread that Jesus used when he said, "This is my body," uh, and, and really just I, even overall, just looking at uh, the celebration of God's miraculous, awesome deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt thirty five hundred years ago, that being the backdrop of what Jesus was communicating to his disciples about his identity. Right. That he is the the new Moses, that he is the Passover lamb, that it's his blood that pays the price for our redemption, just like the blood of the spotless Passover lamb was used by God to redeem and deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt. Once I started realizing these things, it's like, you know, the, the light bulb started to go off. And honestly, I'll add this. Um, it was during that time. God used that. God used me understanding or, or being exposed to the Jewish backgrounds of the Passover as seen in the Last Supper with Jesus and the disciples. God used that uh, to, to help de- develop even more of a burden in my heart to bring the gospel to the Jewish people. Wonderful. I desired so much to learn more about uh, the Jewish people, about Israel. And a friend of mine put it like this uh, way back, you know, when I was first being exposed to these things. Uh, she said, you know, imagine you are, uh, you're engaged to marry someone. You want to find out about this person. You want to learn about their background, their history, their family, their lineage, what they're like. You want to meet their parents, their brothers, their sisters. You want to you want to know their story because you love them, because you're 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 entering into a, a covenant union with this person. Uh, and it's similar with our relationship with Jesus. We are we are the bride of Christ, right? And we should want to learn more about uh, his kinsmen according to the flesh and his family and his background and and the story of his people absolutely and it and it's just so uh picturesque you know it it, it just it's just such a, a a beautiful transforming experience and it's tactile i mean when you when you go to a passover uh you touch things you eat things you smell things and the rabbis tell us that we're supposed to do all that because we're supposed to feel like we were there. So we take parsley, which is a symbol of life. We dip it in salt water and we eat it to remind us of the tears shed by the Jewish people because they were enslaved. We, believe it or not, take some horseradish and we we grind it up. We put it on, on the matzah and we eat it to remind us of the bitterness of slavery. And then we take a sweet substance called haroset, made of chopped apples, chopped walnuts, some honey, cinnamon. And so you eat that beautiful sweet mixture and it reminds you of the cement used by the uh, Israelites when building the uh, 
the storage cities of Pitham and Ramses. And so the question is asked by the rabbis, why do we remember such a bitter experience with a mixture so sweet? And in the Haggadah, in our liturgy that night, uh, Grandpa, who is speaking on behalf of Jewish tradition, says, when redemption is near, even the bitterness of slavery is sweet. See, these are beautiful truths that come out through the Passover. But nothing is more magnificent than when Jesus took the middle piece of matzah, because we use three pieces. A lot of people say one is God, one is the priests, and one are the people. And that's what I would go with. And so I take the middle piece, the piece traditionally of the priests. We break it, we wrap it in half of it in a linen napkin, we hide it, then we bring it back at the end of the meal, then we break that piece into little pieces, and everybody at the table will eat it. The matzah is striped and pierced, it's unleavened. There are so many parallels between the matzah and the person of Jesus. But what's so amazing is in verse uh, 19 of, of, of Luke 22, when he had taken some bread, read of matzah, and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we understand that even in John 6, we're to eat his body and drink his blood. So the bread and the, and, and the wine are uh, explained by John in John chapter 6. And, and it's, it's, it's not literal blood and it's not a literal body, but they are symbols that remind us of what he did and who he is. Previous to that, he took the cup of the new covenant and he drank it. And that's the third cup usually in a Passover Seder. So all of these beautiful symbols of the Passover weave together the story of redemption, but point always pointed to a future penultimate redemption that came about through the death of Jesus the Messiah. But Bobby, it's, it's more than his death. He died exactly at the right time. Mm-hmm. In the book of Exodus chapter 12, the lamb was selected and then on the 10th day, and then the lamb was to die on the 14th day. And so at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, based upon what we read in the text of the New Testament, Jesus died for our sins as the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he was buried. And Uh, Any day, according to Jewish tradition, is part of a day, so don't worry too much about three 24-hour days. And so Jesus was buried on that Friday uh, before the Sabbath, because he had to be buried before the Sabbath, uh, because you can't do burials uh, on the Sabbath. And so he was buried uh, before the Sabbath, and on Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, Jesus conquered death and rose from the grave in power, astounded his disciples, and this has become one of the most essential parts of the gospel message that we preach. It's not just that Jesus died according to uh, died for our sins according to the scriptures, but he rose again on the third day. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. And so that is the gospel message. He died on the right day, as the right person, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But he also rose on the right day. And why is that, Bobby? Because God set the appointment, and when the time came, he fulfilled it. And what was that day after the Sabbath? So that day after the Sabbath would have been the Feast of First Roots that we read about in Leviticus 23, verses 9 through 14. Uh-huh. Uh, and again, it's that 
that time, uh, that special day uh, when the priests would gather in the, the first fruits, the best portion of the harvest, offer it up to God, and essentially, uh, as God accepted that first fruits offering, the entire crop, the entire harvest was now seen as belonging to God. And when we come to 1 Corinthians 15, like you mentioned, specifically in verse 20, Paul uses really interesting language. You know, in 1 Corinthians, all throughout, Paul is using uh, very, very unique language to describe the ministry of Jesus in terms of these holidays. And listen to the title that he gives Jesus. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So when Jesus rose from the dead on the Feast of Firstfruits, he became that best of the best portion of the entire harvest, of the entire crop. And because his resurrection to eternal life was accepted by God and, and really done in the, by the power of God, uh, now we as the harvest, we as the, the rest of the crop, will join him in that same resurrection to eternal life, which is different from every other resurrection that we see in the Bible, because he never died again. I think all of this is just so wonderful, because you have the prophecy in Exodus 12 of the Lamb, what the Lamb would do and when the Lamb would do it. And then you have more about the Lamb filled in by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53. The picture mm -hmm. starts getting clearer and more beautiful and more colorful. And then you have Jesus living a perfect life, demonstrating that he is the Lamb of God. He is announced on the 10th of Nisan, which is the triumphal entry. He sits down to celebrate the Passover on the 14th of Nisan, the evening of the 14th, and then he dies on the 14th of Nisan, exactly on the day when that lamb was supposed to be slain and its blood smeared on the doorposts of Jewish homes to prevent them from being, the firstborn from being killed. And then he's in the grave, parts of three days and three nights, and then he raises from the dead on Sunday, which is first fruit. I mean, you, you could say, Wow, this is very coincidental, isn't it? <laughs> or you could say it's absolutely astounding to see the detail uh, by which God uh, demonstrates to us that Jesus was perfect according to the law and that what Paul said was true, that the Messiah died for our sins and rose again according to the scriptures. That's not just according to the promise of the scriptures, but it's also according to the chronology of the scriptures, which is really amazing. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. So, Mitch, we've been talking about really the last week of Jesus and how everything just seemed to line up perfectly and how he fulfilled uh, so much about the, the entry of the lamb into the home when he entered into Jerusalem, uh, his sacrifice as our Passover lamb on Passover, and then even his resurrection and how it lines up with the Feast of Firstfruits. Um, now, there is a practical application for us as well, though, isn't there, Mitch? Sure. I, I think that too often we look at the resurrection as something that happened in the, in the past. Now, we know that it did, but the impact of the resurrection uh, continues each and every day, and it impacts our lives. And so the resurrection is not static. It's alive and dynamic because of the Holy Spirit who lives in our lives and because Jesus is alive and well and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so 
because of the resurrection and because of this incredible uh, idea of our being the rest of the first fruit, uh, those who are asleep, we're the rest of the first fruit. In other words, uh, if Jesus is the first fruit of the harvest, we're the rest of the harvest. And so what, hmm. what, what, what does it mean to us? Well, a couple of things. Number one, we need to pray. We need to ask God what we should do with our resources also, with our lives. And, and uh, if we are the rest of the harvest, if we're still part of this uh, extension of the first fruits, then you know we need to think about how we handle our resources, especially during these uh, difficult days that we're all living in. We also need to prepare each harvest time with an open mind and, an, and a generous heart. And I think this is very, very important, especially when we see so many people uh, in great need, particularly uh, Ukrainian refugees and, and others. We need to really open our hearts to being generous with people. And we need to prioritize the idea that being a first fruit offering and uh, understanding the first fruit season is that we need to put God first. So we need to make sure that we are prioritizing God and serving the Lord Jesus in our lives. And finally, we need to give generously. We need to make remembering this holiday as part of telling God that our resources, all that we have, come from him and that we don't want to just give him the tenth. In fact, the tenth is just a representation of the fact that all of it is his. Isn't that true, Bobby? I mean, you mm -hmm. made that Absolutely. so clear, you know, that uh, we set it apart, but we don't just set a portion apart. The portion is symbolic of the whole thing. And so um, we are the ongoing uh, fruit of Jesus' resurrection, and we need to think a lot about how we can live uh, in the power of the resurrection by opening our hearts and being generous and putting the Lord first in all things. And, and really, how do you put the Lord first without putting others first. Isn't that true? I mean, I think that's, you know, preferring one another in love as believers and going into all the world and making disciples. I mean, the Lord calls upon us to put others first. So the, the fruit of, the real fruit of putting Him first is that we demonstrate that we're putting others first. I think that's the real lesson of the first fruits. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you've missed any portion of this lesson on Passover and the first fruits, uh, and would like to hear the complete message, just visit us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. And if you're looking for some great free resources to help you better understand Passover and first fruit, be sure to ask for our booklet, 10 Ways to Find Messiah in the Passover. You can call 888-2-YESHUA. That number again is 888-293-7482. Or download a free digital copy online when you go to chosenpeople.com offer. And while you're online, be sure to check out our latest outreach opportunities. That's part of Foundations 22, our goals and direction for 2022. This year, brothers and sisters, we're going back to the basics. The pandemic disrupted our usual outreach efforts, but for right now, we're ready to dive back in and proclaim the gospel. But we are desiring to do that face-to-face -face in our cities and streets. And if you'd like to help us transform the lives of Jewish people around the globe this year, we would love to hear from you. 
There's so much that God is doing, and you can be part of it by praying and partnering with us. To learn more about Foundations 22, connect with us online at chosenpeople.com radio. And now to wrap up today's message with the ironic benediction, here's Mitch with Michael Rydelnik. Yivarechacha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panavalecha V'yaseim lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem shall Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Peace.